I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. For 12-pack radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-pack radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home of the beta Rank college football statistical model, and the home of your Pac-12 gambling advice with William Hills Max Meyer. This is Brian Conger, the Sharp College Football Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and it's News Fairy Day. It's News Fairy Day, and woo, buddy, it's a big story. A lot of players coming out, multiple Pac-12 players, including some really high NFL draft picks in the future, coming out and saying that they are going to need to see some guarantees before they start this coming season. And in order to do that, we're going to cover all of all of those requests. And Max is taking a week off, so we are joined by Mr. West Coast College Football. What's going on, West Coast? Hey, not much. Glad to be back on talking to you guys. Yep, yep. And of course, people can follow you at West Coast CFB on Twitter. Of course, you have your website going on. Um, how's that going, man? Oh, it's going great. You know, we've been putting out content, um, you know, ranking the players before the season at each position group. So if you want to, you know, get a kind of head start on the season, uh, assuming it does get played, uh, take a look at westcoastcfb.com and, you know, you can see, you know, how your players stack up at every position around the conference. Yeah, we've been talking about on this podcast. We're leaving the nuggets for people to collect. It's like collecting your Pokemon before the season starts. <laughs> and that trail can be as long as as short it is as it is until the season starts. And doing that every step along the way is Mr. Rob Barron. What's going on, Rob? How you doing? I'm uh, I'm doing pretty well. Like uh, got got the kids to sleep, ready to talk some. Uh, well, not football, perhaps, but something close to football. Yeah, it's football ish. Football ish here. Um, we were going to continue our conversation in uh, submitting our All Pac-12 nominees. We'll, we'll we'll do that another time. But obviously, the big story today is like we mentioned, a ton of players coming forward and issuing. Uh, basically a list of guarantees that they want to see before they start the Pac-12 season. And Rob, I'll throw it to you here for a second. The one thing I want to mention right away is first, this is an ongoing story. It's going to continue to move forward. So we are recording the day. This is uh, Sunday, uh, the day that that news dropped. So um, what the, what it means for a player to sign onto this letter is uh, uncertain. There are some that have signed it that say that they still want to play. There are some that have signed it where they haven't made a public statement yet. So this is developing but we wanted to highlight it as it's happening. We have all the lists. And, Rob, the other thing to keep in mind here when we're taking a look at the uh, the decisions that they've made is, my goodness, the timing. If, if you wanted change in college football and, and you picked a date to, to, for this to happen, man, a few days right after the Pac-12 announced their schedule uh, to say that we're not playing said schedule is going to give you the most amount of leverage. I think the players really picked the right time to to really I mean, move forward some much-needed change in the sport. Yeah, I mean, there's no... And I think one of the things that's really resonated as uh, and the players have repeatedly brought up uh, as more either players are opting out like Kevin Doyle at Arizona 
or players when they talked about signing this or supporting this was that pro football players are, are opting out um, of playing in this season. Um, and, you know, a lot of these college football players are left wondering, like, well, if these pro football players are doing this, what are, what are we doing? <laughs> and why, why am I doing this? Um, and I, that's a, that's a reasonably fair question. I think, uh, I mean, to, for them to ask, uh, because it does feel as if you're a, you know, a college football player looking at this, uh, situation where, you know, they are, we are potentially pushing towards a season that even the, even the decision makers, I don't think if you, you, you know, really believe they're likely to finish, um, the schedule that they have put out in front of them. Um, and with really, you know, like very questionable, um, competitiveness consideration. I mean, just think about like, you know, like let's say Washington's leading in the PAC 12 North or something and they have an outbreak and they, you know, have to miss two weeks or something <laughs> or, or it's not big enough, but like two or three of their best players suddenly can't play. Um, I think as, as players look at this, it, you know, the, the college football season starts to look more and more like a pretty naked money grab, uh, by the athletic departments. And in that case, it's, you know, like you absolutely should ask some questions about why this is happening now and, 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 and how you're being pushed into it. So yeah, that's, I think players are as they, in particular, as they have seen what has been happening in major league baseball, what has been happening in the NFL with players opting out. Like, I, I think that there is more, um, and you're right. Like this is definitely the, the opportunity that they have to, you know, when athletic departments are already in, you know, significant trouble, I think financially, um, you know, where, where they really need the players in particular, the football players, but then they also, uh, you know, the, the, the moment in the, uh, in our country, I guess you could say is, is, is that it is ripe for this conversation. Yeah. West coast. And we'll go through all of their requests here one by one. But what were your initial reactions? I mean, you you have your finger on the pulse of not only the Pac-12. It'll be interesting to see if this moves over. I actually have a couple bold predictions, some bold predictions after we go through the, the requests here. But, I mean, you have your finger on the pulse also of um, the Mountain West. And I'm sure what happens in the Pac-12 will likely seep over into the other conference. What, what came to your mind when you saw this news break and you were looking through what the players were asking for? Yeah, well, first off, you know, I think that the players did a great job of putting all the information together. It's a really well thought out uh, list of, you know, things that they're looking to accomplish. Um, you know, I think it's kind of like, you know, you go into a negotiation, you're going to start high. And, you know, I think a lot of their demands can definitely be met. I think a few are going to be challenging for athletic departments to to reach, you know, specifically the 50% revenue sharing. Um that's one that schools are going to have a lot of pause going towards. Um, but I think the biggest thing out of this is that it's a much needed thing that to happen and it's a great conversation point and it's helping everyone move forward to where college football really should be for the players and, you know, helping them get to a point where they can feel uh, more valued, valued and protected. 
Yeah, that 50% revenue share jumped out for me also while we were going through um, the the list. But like, and, and I've seen this a lot on Twitter. There's two things that I've seen on Twitter that I, I think are quite silly. The first is like, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. And, and yeah, but like, you got to start somewhere. And obviously, like, if you're doing negotiations, you know, just put your balls on the table and, and see where you go. Um, and then but I think that there is going to be some leeway there um, coming from the players and whoever ends up representing them. And uh, like, whenever this gets settled, I do think that there's going to by going big they're going to be able to go to where they wanted to get so and we'll talk about that i think the other thing that stood out is like how are players going to play pay taxes on this money well like the same way that i played pay taxes on my my paycheck like i don't that i thought that was kind of a silly uh, uh thing and i've seen that a couple times uh, from some reporters and people that are following this i ultimately though kind of looking at the snap the knee-jerk coverage of uh, the situation. It seems like most people kind of get where they're coming from. And we've said on this podcast, and we see this on a lot of financial podcasts where people are talking about how COVID has accelerated trends that were already in play. And that was certainly the case for college football. There was already a movement for name, image, and likeness. And that was added to the um, the, the list of requests that have been made by the players. And there's just, there's a lot of stuff that I think are moving forward. So let's go through them one by one here, Rob. Um, and it was very well laid out, by the way. It's like section one, <laughs> number one, A and B. I'm like, yeah. as somebody that loves bullet points, that's all like I, I pitch people like I'm, I'm a salesperson. Um, I, I loved it. I'm like, this is exactly like they, I'm going to share this with my boss. Everything should look like this. Um, a lot of hashtags, though, a lot of hashtags. I wasn't a big fan of that. Like, I'm like, all right, I, I, I got you. I see where you're coming from. But um, I'm kind of being facetious on that front. Let's go through the demands here. The first are health and safety protections. And there are COVID protections. So they're allow the, the first request is allow an option not to play during the pandemic without losing athletics eligibility or a spot on a team's roster. And that basically has already been in place. Yeah. And, and I've seen that. But I think one thing that this is why if I were I think it was really smart for the players to do this because you're getting in writing like I mean how many times have you heard of like voluntary workouts and like you know oh it's okay not to show up for practice and then like all of a sudden your spots gonna get in writing I think I think a good move I think a good move even though it looks like the every team in the conference in good faith have already started doing this, but like keeping it as the first and foremost on the on the radar and on the list of requests, I, I thought was smart to get that in writing. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you might as well push them on it uh, just to, to remind them on it too. But, but there's also the you know sort of sneaky, you know, back end running of players off at the end of a season that can happen too. And if a guy hasn't been on the roster, you know, they like you know you, you want to have it that you have a guaranteed spot coming back. Um, you know, and, and, and emphasize that as much as possible. So you don't get caught up in one of those roster crunches at the end of the season. Yeah. yeah you following with that uh, West coast? Yeah, I agree. You know, it's definitely something that, you know, already kind of happened with the spring athletes where they already kind of granted them that protection. Um, and I think that's a demand that's definitely going to be met. Um, and it's a good one to ask for, just like you said, to get it in writing. And it seems like, um, I just when you take a look and compare conferences like the Pac-12 to the SEC or the Big Ten, it does seem like the Pac-12 has done a very, very good job, all, all things considered, um, in terms of like just numbers of people that have got COVID and the way that and I know I know that different schools are different. And we'll talk about that, too. But it just seems like the Pac-12 seems to have its house in order. And it really looks like as much as they could. Um, outside of outside of financial considerations, which we'll also talk about, it just seems like the conference and on a whole has has done about as good as it can on that so it looks like this will be a good good faith thing on both sides at least one hopes um the second 
the second uh, portion here is pro prohibit and void COVID-19 arrangements that waive liability. And Rob, we had talked about this when Ohio State came out and basically made their play sign players sign a waiver saying, if you come to practice and you get COVID, like, sorry, like, you know, you can't sue us or there's we're not liable for having you do this, even though really the, the players aren't getting that paycheck. So I, I was actually really glad to see this in here as well. Yeah, this is smart. I mean, it's also, I mean, and I, we talked about this maybe then, but I mean, like economists and my backgrounds in economics, uh, economists like have studied worker safety. And when you, you generally find like really, really bad worker safety environments where like the employer carries no liability. <laughs> so <laughs> just like, just like if a car insurance with a car insurance company, like they want you to at least have some deductible um, you know, so that you have some skin in the game. You want to make sure that your employer workplaces, you know, in this case for these college athletes, that they <clears throat> do have some financial liability so that they do their very best um, to make sure that because everyone says it, but uh, what usually what has we find that works best uh, in, in the real world is making sure that people actually have some financial uh, liability that they have to live up to. I, at the same time, I could also see this being a sticky issue. Because, um, like, how do you guarantee somebody not get COVID? Um, and if the player is now, and, and just for all to put my cards on the table, I, I was excited that this was in here. So, like, I'm not, I'm not saying that it was a bad idea. I think it was a good idea. Um, I could see the administrators, on the other hand, basically saying, well, we can't guarantee, like, we can guarantee your safety as much as we can, um, but this is a, a pandemic, and if if you want to play there has to be some sort of risk. So I, I'm curious to see how, like my argument to counter that would be like, well, then I'm, <laughs> then I'm not playing, <laughs> um, but it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But um, West coast, what did you think when you saw that one again, in this beautiful bullet pointed document, uh, <laughs> what did you, what did you think of that stipulation? Yeah, again, I think it's another really good ask by the players, but as you mentioned, it's a slippery slope. Um, school admin is not, going to want to open themselves up to the option to potentially be sued if a player gets COVID, right? That's why they're trying to do this whole opt-in, opt-out thing for the season, I think. And, you know, if you opt-in, then you assume the risk that you can get COVID and it's a possibility and then that you won't sue the school. Um, so it's me. this is going to be one that's really interesting to follow, right? That's one that is going to be an interesting result and i don't know which direction it's going to go because i could see the schools not really wanting to assume too much risk on the front of being sued especially by a large group of players yeah and i think it was good for them to put it on here and i'm going to smash two other stipulations together in this next one because i think again it gives the players some room to negotiate and those two things were they requested and this was under the mandatory safety standards uh, including covid 19 measures basically they're asking for a player approved health and safety standards enforced by a third party um, selected by the players to address covid um, as well as serious injury abuse and death and then they also asked for separately uh, basically health insurance for six years after the um, the their time playing college football related to COVID issues. So I, I again I think that they're very wisely putting a number of items on the table to give them maximum protection in case they have to negotiate. And this will be a negotiation with administrators. Um, 
Rob, I, I just, as I look through all the health stuff, we'll get to the financial stuff, but as I look through all the health stuff, I'm like, hell yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah, hell Like, this is this was really, really well thought out. Um, what did you think about them kind of adding those two additional measures to it? Well, it is interesting because just as I said that they would do, you know, they would want to make sure that the schools had some liability there. Like, in taking this, they this step here where they're approving some of the safety standards and who will be enforcing them, uh, that does negate some <laughs> they then take on some oh, of that liability yeah. right uh you know because they have they're the ones that have now uh, you know approved the standards and who will be enforcing them so then you know the only way that they would sue the school is if the school failed to live up to their part of what the third party had declared um that, that i mean not that that's a bad thing i mean if you're a player having a say in it is probably worth more to you uh than the other way around um, but I think it, I, I think it's the right call. I mean, like you want to have like having some say in what the safety standards are and who is enforcing them. But this goes back to this almost sounds like the, um, you know, like the UCLA request that I mean, got spun a little out of control. We're saying the players didn't trust Chip Kelly. It was just the players didn't trust <laughs> the administration in general to really have their safety at heart. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, the the players here, they. They definitely, in the in the rush to get to a college football season, I, I think that there are legitimate questions on their part of, of whether you know their safety is is paramount. Well, yeah, you look at the, I mean, uh, Major League Baseball. We talked about this on the last podcast. The the Florida Marlins, you know, it looks like the bubble is the best possible way to keep things safe. The NHL is doing this. The you know, basketball, uh, the NBA is doing it. And then you know, a couple of Marlins go out and you know, and allegedly hang out after the game somewhere, and boom, not like twelve to eighteen people, like. When you're dealing with 65 teenagers, almost teen, I mean they're adults, but like 65 That's adults. It's a hundred. It is a hundred. There are a hundred. When you count all the walk-ons and scholarship players, it's it's around a hundred players. Yeah, it's it's man, it's going to be really difficult to keep that contained. Um, let's go. Let's go to the next area, which is uh, section two, which is protect all sports. And now is where things get a little bit complicated, gets a little complicated, and we'll talk about that right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. Section two. Um, section two, protect all sports. Um, the document says, preserve all existing sports by eliminating excessive expenditure. So... On one hand, I get it, and, and it's, it's funny. On on you know, number one here is they they specifically mention Larry Scott administrators and coaches to voluntarily and drastically reduce excessive pay. Um, and I hear you. I mean, like obviously, it's the this ginormous bubble that has been built um, because we're not paying players. You see um, coaching contracts continue to rise. You see the addition of years on people's contracts with buyout clauses and all this stuff. So uh, the facility's getting out of control. So again, it's the acceleration of a trend that was already happening. So the, so we'll, I'll do three of them here because these ones are kind of kind of stapled together. So again, the first one is Larry Scott, administrators and coaches to voluntary and drastically reduce excessive pay. The second is end performance slash academic bonuses. 
And the third is end lavishly end, end lavish faculty expenditures and use some endowment funds to preserve all sports. And then they have an asterisk and it says, uh, for example, Stanford University should reinstate all sports discontinued by tapping into their 27 plus billion dollar endowment. A lot to unpack there. Um, West Coast, let's let's give you first crack at it here. And then Rob and I will uh, will follow you. What, what do you think about those three? Yeah, so I think the idea behind this one I think is really good, but the problem is that if the Pac-12 is the only school to start reducing the coaches' pay, uh, what's going to happen is those coaches will just go to the SEC, the Big 12, the ACC, the Big 10. It's something that would almost need to happen across college football. Otherwise, the Pac-12 ends up in like a non-competitive situation, almost like a G5 because we're not paying enough money to the coaches to stay around. So that's where the challenge to me comes in. Um, I think that reducing Larry Scott's salary, I mean, maybe is doable. Um, who knows how long he'd even be in charge of the conference going forward. But I think coaching salaries is tough because that's all about competitive balance at this point. Rob, what, what do you think about that? I, I mean, I, I hear you. I think one of the things that to keep in mind on this, too, is it may spread to other conferences. So that so I think West Coast is right at this moment in time where if there's a cap on coaching salary, but I bet also, and like, I'm sure West coast, I don't want to speak for you, but it seems like also you mentioned that, you know, you kind of agree with the, the basic tenor of let's check some expenses here. <laughs> like it seems like we, I do believe that there's a lot of money being thrown around in, in this area. Um, <laughs> so, so what do you think Rob? Well, I mean, certainly when you're able to not pay this, you know, a lot of your skilled labor, uh, when you're able to basically offer them uh, room and board, <laughs> then yeah, uh, there's a lot of money that's going to go into a lot of other markets and it's going to inflate prices in those markets. But I do think that when we run through this, that, I mean, the flip side of that though, is if other conferences didn't do it, well, the PAC 12 would be paying players astronomically comparatively <laughs> to, to what those, to what those conferences were offering. So, Sure, you might lose out on the you know some good coaches, but you'd have you know a lot of very very good players flocking to the Pac-12 because they'd actually be getting paid. But uh, but the, I mean I, I do get some of the um you know like the academic bonuses from the coaches part of it. Like I mean that's I mean all of this is in a lot of ways like you know contributed from the players' very hard work, um you know and and the, you know the the performance bonuses to coaches are often quite lavish. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you see across all of college football, like if you don't pay the players, the money's got to go somewhere. You have to compete somewhere if you're not competing to pay the players. So you pay coaches more, you build more lavish facilities, you, you know, spend more on, you know, I mean, I don't know that athletic directors are, you know, have taken like a, you know, a, a bunch of, you know, are, are the most overpaid people on campus, but you know, the, you know, you do see like the growth of, you know, the support staff and things like that around there. So that make that part makes sense. I mean, if, and, and that would have, that would all have to happen, right? Like, I mean, you would, if you, to pay the players, you know, those other markets that have those inflated prices, that money would have to come down. Um, the part that uh, I struggle with more is uh, people have this misconception about how endowments work. <laughs> so um when people give money to universities in endowments, those endowment, they, they usually commit it to a very specific purpose. Um, so think of like an endowed chair uh, at a university. Um, when I, I, I did my graduate work at Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt has an endowment just to take care of the grounds. 
Um, but because, you know, these are often bequests from very wealthy people, um, they have all gone through lawyers and they are usually tied to a very specific purpose, scholarship, um, you know, scholarships for particular, you know, groups or communities or types of students. Um, you know, like I said, like specific types of research, most Notre Dame, there was a great article about Notre Dame has a huge endowment, um, about Notre Dame sitting next to like a Scrooge McDuck pile of money that they, they really can't access. Um, and they, they can't act like this. So this notion that like Stanford can't, Stanford actually can't legally can't tap its endowment to save sports. It can't tap its, it can't tap its endowment to make its budget work this year. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. Well, so like, like I, I like hear- so like that that part of like I mean it's just it's it's not pr- like I'm not saying I just think that like this idea that like they're going to preserve sports on the back of other money like that other money is pr- like mostly committed to academic purposes already. So there's no like this notion of somehow there's just free money laying around is n- is not true. Like we we need to be frank and honest about like who is going to pay for this and who will pay for this is going to be the Olympic sports. And I'm okay with that. Oh, oh yeah, me too. Like I've I've been on. I mean, like, like I've been a record many times where I, I just why do we need to give like scholarships to a tennis team at Arizona or like the there's like three rowing teams at Stanford that I didn't know existed and they're all getting scholarships. I I thought they got a little too creative here with the with adding this yeah. example to it. I would push back a little bit on endowments. I think that there are ways to be able to like if you. Um, I think there are some ways, like as somebody that does fundraising and has dealt with endowments, where you can talk with family members and and loosen up. But like, I I think if you're going to do that, I would much rather that money go to under underprivileged kids that just want to go to Stanford or like you know or ASU or wherever it is. Like, I don't know why we would point to um, an endowment to save like the like three person crew team at Stanford rather than. Um, just make college more accessible <laughs> to everybody. Like, so, no, you know. <laughs> and, but that's where a lot of those endowment dollars are already going. Like the idea that they're like costless, like that's just, like, it's not costless and you're stealing from academia at that point. And academia is way less funded at an individual level than sports is. Right. <laughs> like, um, so, it, I mean, if you want to reduce your school's research budget, you know, um, or reduce the funds to send, you know, that can help, you know, people attend college who may not really be able to afford it, then yes. But uh, I, this, this felt like a little bit of a toss out because I mean, the, the reality is, and, and the uncomfortable conversation is, you know, when, where, you know, I think it, it gets difficult on who's going to get hurt by this um, is that, you know, some people will point to this and say, Oh, you know, like, you know, if, if you pay the, the basketball, if you pay the football players, you know, what about title nine? That's, and I, I'm not saying that's not, that's not true, but the other dimension of it too, is that you have primarily African-American basketball and football funding, primarily country club <laughs> Olympic sports, right? I mean, like you said, like, I mean, Stanford cut its sailing team, like, oh no, where are those kids on the Stanford sailing team going to get the money to go to college? Like, come on. <laughs> like, I, I think I think this is where it ties into 
some of their other demands here that's on and, and I get and we'll get to the I'm going to skip the racial one and get and, and end with that one because they kind of touched on finances so I want to keep that financial conversation going so I want to jump down to economic freedom and equality because I do think that there's this cognitive dissonance between um, we should get paid more and and also we should save these other sports and they should be paid where like I don't think that those are I don't think that meshes I think they're neat like again you got to pay the piper somehow and again, this is a starting document where there can be some negotiation around like how much and, and all that stuff, which so again, it's good that it's on the table. Um, but I, I do think that there are a couple items that need to be addressed. Um, we had already talked about guaranteed medical expense coverage. Um, so I want to go down to the other ones, which are um, name, in- image, and likeness rights and representation. So they're basically asking for the freedom to secure representation, to to get name, image, and likeness. That makes sense. That's been on the table for a while and it's been discussed. This this just accelerates that, which I think is a good thing, right? I mean, what do you, what do you think, uh, West Coast? Yeah, no, I think this is something that's definitely going to happen in college football uh, and college basketball in the very near term. So, you know, I think that, this is something that's, I think, really, we are going to see it. So it's definitely good, and it's good that they put it on here. And I'm actually looking forward to seeing how this all kind of pans out. It'd be kind of cool to see uh, players start getting sponsored, you know, by like Amazon on a billboard or something, or in a commercial. So I think it's definitely a good chance for those kids to get more money in their pockets. Yeah, I want Penny Sewell pancakes. You know, like I want, I want just the most ridiculous, creative ways that I will purchase them. I will support uh, the the work of uh, Mr. Sewell over there and Eugene. Um, but I, I think that, that that advances things. A couple other things they ask for here is um, a six-year athletic scholarship to foster undergraduate and graduate degree uh, completion. I think that one probably is going to get knocked off the table pretty quickly. Um, obviously, guaranteeing the four years, I think, is a really strong. I think in basketball they don't do that. I have to go back and look. Rob, you probably know better than I do. I think the six year is asking a little bit much, but it might give them another bargaining chip to take off the table. Um, you know, just because you're playing football at, at, you know, Utah doesn't mean that you're in like, if, if you're going to get paid um, and you're going to get name, image and likeness, I don't, I don't see why we have to guarantee um, graduate degrees, but what do you think? I don't know. I mean, like major league baseball, like on top of the money you get as a, um, if you sign with Major League Baseball in the draft, like on top of all the money you get, they will also pay for you to go back and complete your degree. And <laughs> it's not like college football is hurting for money um, on top of it. So, yeah, I mean, those guys are getting paid and they also have, you know, the guaranteed option to go back and get their education, you know, on MLB's dime. Um, <clears throat> I don't think this. I actually don't think this one's too bad. I, I, I think actually this is something that the schools could pretty I mean, it would be a burden on the cost. You know, that cost would be borne by the athletic department. Like they have to fund those scholarships then and send that money over to main campus. Um, but I do think, like for some of these guys, you know, they're in their in their football careers, they're often pushed into majors that may not be great fits for them, in order to or or what they're actually interested in or what you know maybe they think will be the best for them over their over their life, um, in order to fit into a football schedule. Um, and uh, you know, I, I like the opportunity and I, I hope this one does stay and, um, for them to be able to either, you know, pursue a second major, uh, and finish it or, you know, potentially to go on to graduate school. Uh, what do you think West Coast on that one? I actually agree with Rob. Uh, I think that Pac-12 schools would be pretty down to do this. Um, you know, I think this is a concession that they can make to give the players, you know, something that makes them feel more valuable and can really help their careers too, getting that master's degree. So, like Rob said, that I think that this is something that 
can definitely be done and can definitely help a lot of kids' lives and get them to a place of high earning potential. Okay. Um, let's get to the big they're one. Already at, they're oh. already at five when you count in the redshirt year, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, that is true. It's and, only one more year. And there's all the graduate transfer stuff now, too, so it's kind of like they've opened up that door anyway. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, the big one here, distribute 50% of each sport's total conference revenue evenly among af- uh, athletes and their respective sports. Uh, I'm sorry, athletes in their respective sports. Obviously, they're asking for a lot, um, and that's to put a big – you know, a big marker way far down the table to kind of go back and forth. Um, I actually think the way that this this gets resolved is there's a stipend that players will get for room board and, you know, and expenses. I think rather than distribute 50%, I think they up that amount by, you know, how in the, like, in the negotiation is like, how much do we up that amount in addition to name, image, and likeness? Um, that's kind of my theory on on how this works. Does that does that jive with you, Rob? How, how do you how do you react to the fifty percent? Do you think that there's any way that they get to even close to that amount? And and at the I same mean, and at the same time, keep all of the the non or all the Olympic sports. I mean, I think I think asking for both kind of puts them in a weird spot. But um, what do you think? No, I mean this is going to come at the cost of Olympic sports. I mean, they, <laughs> they um, but the. You know, the, I, I, I think people sort of looked at that and said, oh, my gosh, that's such a high number. But I do think that once you once you got to the point where you started paying the players in any way, shape or form, like really paying them in any sort of compensation and the players felt like they could come back and negotiate with you about it, you're going to the players will end up somewhere close to this number once you open that door. It may not be now. Right. But it will. It may be down the road. Um, you know, and, and that, I, that I think is probably like, I, I think people look at it now and they're reacting like, Oh, nobody's got money right now. And I mean, that's true, right? Like, you know, the, the football programs don't necessarily have money right in this moment, but if you but negotiate, they will if they play. It, <laughs> like, that's, right. that's, that's why but even if this. you, if you got this to 5%, like the door is open, like the, the, the whole thing here is that like. The 50%, I mean, if the NCAA or, you know, the Pac-12 agreed to a 5% payout, well, that's it. Like, it, it's never going down, right? Like, yeah. You know, and once they figured out that it's something that they negotiate with like that, like, it will be something that they'll negotiate on in the future. Um, you know, like, I just, I don't think that, I don't think that they're, you know, like, this demand, people focus on, like, the 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 high number part of it, right? Forgetting that, like, I mean, the major thing is, does this, could this door even be opened at all? Yeah. I mean, like trying to crack that open, I think, again, putting that big number out on the table um, at least gets you, uh, gets that on the table to talk about. Uh, West Coast, what do you think about that? And what do you think about like kind of the, at least the, the short term resolution being like a one to two to $5,000 increase in player stipends as being part of the revenue share? Yeah, I think that in, like an increase in stipend, I think it definitely could happen. Uh, 50% off the bat is just not going to happen. It's too high of a number, especially during this. But I think that it's a good starting point to get the discussion going and getting it to a point that, you know, eventually the kids can start bringing home money and a share of the revenue. Uh, one issue I see for the Pac-12, though, is if we start talking about revenue sharing and getting players getting a portion of it, you know, the SEC and the Big Ten bring home a lot more money. Uh, as a conference. So if they, I mean, the tax all starts paying players, 
it is true that other conferences are going to have to pay players also, and they might be able to offer more than the Pac-12 can offer at the moment. So that's going to, you know, it's all going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out. But I think that this whole thing is kind of just like fun to follow from like, because right now we're like basically on day one of it. And it's going to be interesting to see how this goes. And it's going to be a, a journey, you know, and like Rob said, maybe eventually someday it might get to that point of being 50%. Um, but I think off the bat right now, I, I, I just can't see it. Them getting 50% right now. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Um, another stipulation here the elimination of all policies and practices restricting or deterring our freedom of speech ability to fully participate in charitable work freedom to participate in campus activities outside of the mandatory athletics participation sure like that sounds great i think one of the things that'll be interesting though is um uh if the uh and and players will learn their lesson like i I have said a bunch of dumb things on twitter particularly when i was younger and first got on twitter but like um i think if this happens you're gonna see a lot of interesting um comments from players and sure like they're they're allowed to do that and and i don't think that should be held against them um i'm gonna staple a couple other things here because i think they're uh, they, they will have a bigger impact on on players and their ability to be able to move back and forth. The, the second is uh, all players they want to be able to transfer one time without punishment, and um, and additionally in cases of abuse or serious negligence, which is uh, interesting and I think important, particularly um, when when there's a coaching change. That one always kills me, right? You have like a player that was recruited for you know the like a spread offense and then they bring in a guy that's like a ground and pound coach and you just like you feel bad for the players that are stuck there Uh, the other thing is the ability to compete uh complete eligibility after participating in a pro draft if a player goes undrafted or forgoes professional participation within seven days of the draft which is like i think that's awesome like if you want to go to the draft and you you don't get picked the ability to, to go back to a team would be um excellent I am curious to see, though, if there are any uh, any negative ramifications for that. Obviously, like the coaches would have to plan for it. But, you know, like tough crap, like, you know, uh, I don't know. Like, it, I think it'd be nice to have a player try to go to the draft and then not come back, not be able to and come back to your team. Uh, what do you think, West Coast? Uh, yeah, starting off with the pro draft one. I think that's a pretty uh, good ask. And I think that that's something that, you know, could be accomplished. Um, probably more so at the NCAA level. I don't know if the Pac-12 can implement that, that implement that themselves. Um, but you know, like Hunter Bryant didn't get drafted, and which know, is crazy town, by the way. Them. Like, like Hunter Bryant didn't get right. Like, that is. We'd have to repeat that three no. times. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, having him back for the Huskies, I'm sure that would be great for them, right? Uh, assuming that he would even want to come back, but. Um, so overall, I, mean, I think that's a definitely a good move. I think it's good for the players. I do he's tough uh, managing job for the coach to figure out the roster. But, um, I mean, then the player can just go wherever they want, right? They can go to another school, maybe it'd be the option, and let them just go play you know, anywhere else in the country after they don't get drafted. Kind of reopen their recruitment or something like that. Um, which kind of brings us to the one-year transfer uh, rule. And I, and I tell or I'm sorry, not sitting out one year, but just like instant eligibility. And I think that's something that definitely should be done as well. And um, Pac-12, I think, should definitely, you know, look at that and be something that they grant, uh, at least within conference. And let players go out of conference too and do it as well, as long as other schools are down for it. Especially with all that talent at Washington and Oregon and USC. Like I always cheer for, you know, like anytime, anytime Oregon or like Washington or USC gets a – 
a commit over like LSU or Ohio State. I'm like, hooray, because maybe they'll transfer to like, you know, some of the other schools that didn't have access to that type of talent um, and give that player a second chance. Uh, Rob, I'm going to give you those. I'm going to drop a big giant bomb in your lap with due process rights. What does that mean? Um, I'm not a lawyer. I, like, I'm sure oh. I'm sure that was added in <laughs> for a reason. So uh, what, what does it mean? So I think with the due process rights, <clears throat> they'd really like to make sure that they have something that's a little because whether you are on the team off the team right is still very much the whim of the coach you know and maybe you know some other athletic athletic administrators but you know i'm sure the players still very much feel that it is um that that they're in a situation where it's all at the whim of one person um on on how you know on, on whether they're going to keep their scholarship. And, and I'm sure it could feel very tenuous, right? Like, um, you know, a lot of scholarship, you know, a lot of places still only offer, you know, one year, you know, that where the scholarship renews every year, not a four year scholarship. So making sure that they have, you know, the kind of uh, sort of, you know, label that process of what to expect in discipline. Um, and that, I mean, really, too, I mean, in a lot of ways, like I, I know coaches like to keep, you know, the discipline part of their program, you know, to themselves. But I do think that in a lot of ways, like that's we they you know, they probably need athletic departments probably need to get out of that a little bit, too. Um, you know, in order in order so that players like, the, you know, if you have a coach that goes off the rails, if you have like a, you know, you know, um, a situation where a coach is, is, is really persecuting a player or something like that, that that player has the you know right to raise his hand and say, Hey, like, I, you know, I need some help. So maybe it's an ombuds person in the athletic department that they can come to um, or at the university that they can come to, but they, they, I think they would like a, a little bit more than uh, it's whatever the coach says it is. Okay. Well, let's get to the last uh, set of requests right after this. And we're back. We're talking reform in the Pac-12. We're going to go through the last group of requests from uh, players in the Pac-12, and that is on ending racial injustice in college sports and society. And um, they have three requests here. And I'll be honest, like, uh, like I'm totally like, I think this is great. I'm I, obviously I'm on board. Uh, the one thing that that made me kind of um, almost like anytime somebody requests like a summit or it always like makes me think or like a task force. It makes me think of like when Congress says we're going to sick a blue ribbon panel on, on this issue. And then you never hear from it again. So I'm hoping that if these happen that like there's, and I'm sure that they will, if they do that, there's real thought put into it. And it, because I think there really needs to be a very strong communication um, pipeline between players and coaches. And if this doesn't get set up and we'll go through all three, if they don't get set up well, I think, I think, it's not gonna it's not gonna be helpful but the fact that they're putting this on the table and they're gonna walk through it um, that gives me encouragement that they are gonna put real thought into um, being able to have those conversations um, on both sides so that the players and the coaches could hear them because we've talked about this Rob in the past where oftentimes it's like coach talks to players and then that's that's it and then we get into a situation where like we find out all these things about a coach or a program we're like oh holy crap like didn't see that coming because it's a one-way conversation. So those three things that were requested are the first is to form a permanent civic engagement task force made up of our leaders and experts of choice and university and conference administrators to address outstanding issues such as racial injustice in college sports and in society. Um, 
a the second a partnership with a Pac-12 where two percent of the conference revenue would be directed by players to support financial aid for low-income Black students, community initiatives, and development programs for college athletes on each campus. And the third is um, form an annual pa- uh, Pac-12 Black College Athlete Summit with guaranteed representation from three athletes of our choice from every school. Uh, Going through that again, and we read these before we went on. I, I forgot about the second one, so we probably should spend a little bit more time on that. So, Rob, let me get you. Uh, let me get you one and three: the Civic Engagement Task Force and the uh, the annual summit of uh, Black college athletes. I mean, they're fine. I mean, I'm kind of with you on this one. Like, I, I, I think it is important to sometimes get in the room and have like important conversation, you know, difficult conversations. And if the players, you know if the players take it seriously, then they will force the, you know, administrators to take it seriously as well. Um, and I, and I do think, but I, and I, and I think in particular, a lot of our conversation about athletics, we are just getting to, you know, somewhere we need to get with these conversations, but I would, I, I would worry a little bit <laughs> about, about them kind of becoming that, like, uh, the, the, com- the committee about committees, um, type of situation, right? Like you, you, it, it and, it, but, those, those type, I mean, committees are generally like even the, even if you had a committee on committees, like it just depends on how invested people are into it. So if the players want these to succeed, then then they will need to invest their time into it because if they do, they can make them a genuine vehicle for change in the Pac-12. At the same time, there are also people like me when I was in college that was uh, that just happened to say whatever was on my mind at any time. And like me on one of those panels, like as an 18 year old, you don't want me on those panels. But what you do want is you want uh, like really, really good representation. And I think that, again, like if they're able to put put together folks that have the big picture in mind. And, and so it's not two sides just yelling at each other. I think this could be helpful, but um, I don't know. I, th- I, that might be a little bit uh, rambling, but I've just been on meetings sometimes where it is people just yelling at each other and man, it could be really frustrating. Um, but again, like we're, we're kind of going through the, the process and we'll see if, if a, these get put on the table and B if they are, if they're successful, what do you think West coast? Yeah, I think that this is awesome. I think it's a conversation that needs to happen um, and to help, you know, the change that's needed to kind of get, uh, to that point um, in just creating action. So, you know, I think it's a great starting point to um, helping the change that needs to happen get going. Um, I think that the 2% of conference revenue uh, portion being directed to people who need financial aid is awesome. Um, you know, I think that it's really cool, like, what they did here and, and put this all together and the thought they put into it. So definitely, you know, think that they're on the right track towards this and, and uh, how to go about it as well. Yeah, it, this was a a, a wide ranging, uh, again, well written document. So be just really curious to see um, where all these things these things go. Um, if you have so we we asked for questions and and we're going to we're going to actually talk some real football stuff. Although this is this is I would argue real football stuff. It's just not on the field stuff. But we're going to actually talk on the field. We're going to do our nominations uh, for the All Pac Twelve. Um, we're going to do tight ends. We're going to do it after, after a couple of questions. So the first, uh, we got two questions when we send them out. So thanks to, and this, these come from USC Fred who said, asked the first of all is like who benefits and who hurts by the new 10 game conference schedule. Actually, I'm let's table that and let's go to the schedule next week. So Fred, 
don't worry about it. We'll, we'll cover that. That's just like, we have to go through each team's schedule. And frankly, I didn't look at them because I'm like, these team, these games aren't happening in the fall. <laughs> so I didn't look at the actual schedules. I'll make sure to go back and do that. So we'll get to that. But his other question is, what's going on with Wazoo right now? And that is a good question. Um, and it's a story that has broken today and it continues, like the facts continue to come out. So, but that he asked the question. I think it's important to cover it. Um, Rob, you want to take a stab at what's what's bro- broken so far? Uh, yes. So Cassidy Woods, a wide receiver uh, for Washington State, um, who is also a part of the We Are United, you know, the the group that sent the uh, letter, you know, and published in the uh, the Players Tribune. Um, and he. John Woods, uh, his father, has now confirmed to uh, two reporters, Theo Lawson and uh, Jonah Javid. Um, and th- th- I will grant you, like, th- they both have the same source, <laughs> his father. Um, but that he had, uh, Cassidy had asked to, Cassidy Woods had asked to opt, he has a pre-existing medical condition. He had asked to opt out of this season um, and was, you know, told that he could. Um, you know, cause he has a, a sickle cell trait, then Rolovich, according, according to, uh, you know, his father, John Woods asked if Cassidy was involved in the, we are United movement. Um, and then had some fairly negative things to say about that <laughs> and, according, but also that phone call, uh, is apparently recorded because people do that these days. And, Included Rolovich telling the sophomore wide receiver to clean out his locker on Monday to distance the team from the movement in quotation. So I'm assuming that might be pulled. Like if we'll, we may hear the phone call in the coming days. Then they reached out to uh, Pat Chun, the Wazoo athletic director, um, to, and Chun has confirmed that Cassidy, the scholarship future at Wazoo, is uncertain. I get like all of this seems odd. I mean, all of this seems odd. So like I, there are two reporters reporting this currently. Uh, I'd like to see statements from Chun and Rolovich. I would also like to, I mean, if they have recorded this phone call where Rolovich is, you know, wanting to distance the team from this movement, um, you know, like Rolovich should have kept those very separate conversations. Yeah. Like like don't have don't have like the, the dumb in there is if, if it happened that way is having the conversation about the, we are United movement while you are, this kid is opting out because of a pre-existing medical condition. Um, because then those two things as has already happened here, gets, get very confused. I mean, so that like we, we the, I guess what, what I would say is what's going on at Washington state is uh, it's still a little confusing what's going on at Washington state. Yeah. That, that story broke. And and we like I didn't circulate it on the on the um, our Twitter feed because I kind of wanted to see what else happened following it because it broke and I read it and it like I it, actually for, to be frank it was like the just the tweet from um, the guy from the Spokesman Review and I thought man that that sounds outrageous and what I have found on many stories although not all is that when a story is outrageous there usually is something else that I haven't read or hasn't been reported yet so we. So if, if that's what happened, that is outrageous, right? Like, and, um, and they did interview the dad and they did interview, like, so th- there are some seeds that, that are out there. The one thing that was interesting was afterwards, Nicole Auerbach and I think Pete Thamel 
had reported that um, his scholarship is actually not, it's fine. Um, Yeah. and, And then they were also reported that the reason he was asked to clear out his locker was because if he has health concerns over COVID, um, then like he needs to, he needs to leave. They don't want to be liable <laughs> like for, for having somebody that has COVID and has a pre-existing condition and doesn't want to be there. They would, they would very much like to cut that tie from a health issue. Now, the one thing that's interesting is Rolovich and the athletic director from uh, Washington state as of like seven o'clock, or I would say as of six o'clock PM uh, East uh, Pacific time when, before we recorded have not released a statement. So it'll be interesting to see what their side of the story is, but but you're right, Rob, like it still is kind of up in the air. And if it if everything that was reported without nuance was true, it's outrageous. And we'll see. But but also it seems like there are some um, there is yeah. some nuance to that right now. And we just we're not quite certain. So we that's kind of where it is. That makes sense. Well, it started percolating out with like Washington players saying that someone had like been cut from the team. Right. Um, which turned out not to be true. But I think what is sort of interesting there is that uh, I think what Cassidy has probably been looking for is not just not about the scholarship for this season, but will his scholarship continue to be honored in seasons after? Um, Because he's not like Washington state does not offer four year, you know, scholarships. They, they renew every year. Um, And so if, if you could, you could absolutely understand a player opting out for health reasons, um, not particularly liking somebody if they are being coy about the scholarship for next year. And and I know that Lamonte Dougal had tweeted out that nobody's scholarship had been cut, but again, it's for this year. Um, so anyway, right. we'll see that, that that's what's going on now. And that will change likely um, this week. So we'll, we'll continue to keep an eye on that. Uh, West coast. Let me t- toss you that hot potato and anything you want to say about that story. And you don't have to, if you don't want to, uh, what do you think? I think you guys covered most of it, um, but, you know, I do feel like it's been a little bit of a PR disaster for Wazoo today, uh, just not getting ahead of the story. You know, like it feels like it's just all coming from the side at this point, waiting to hear the other side, and, you know, we're getting a little bit of the other side, but not fully from Wazoo in their statement, so it's just been kind of confusing on what their stance is and where it's all coming from, um, and it's a bad look if the story is true, um, but we're kind of just waiting and seeing to see, you know, what really comes out from all this and I saw Wilner tweeted saying that no Wazoo player has lost their scholarship and that was like 18 minutes ago um so it's all just I don't know if that's Wazoo backtracking or what but his exact tweet said update on WSU situation no players have been cut one has opted out for health reasons which was Cassidy Woods everyone else is expected for team activity tomorrow so it's like really tough to know what's really going on with it all and I think that Wazoo would have been better off just really releasing a statement as soon as possible uh either through Rolovich or their athletic yeah and we'll check in on that in uh in about a week here but let's get it let's get into some fun here let's talk about tight ends let's let's do which is my my personal favorite position um if you've been listening to this podcast (laughs) we've been going about two years now and uh uh, myself and Alicia Deartola are waving our flags at the top of the mountain uh, for tight ends to be integrated into an offensive system that isn't just blocking and there are a couple like the thing that I got really excited about when we were doing this (laughs) was that um it looks as if we have two new coaches 
um, one that's a head coach and one that's a coordinator in the Pac-12 that are going to in- integrate the tight end a little bit more. Uh, and we'll go through those. So what we're going to do, if, if you haven't listened to our last podcast with West Coast uh, College Football, you should definitely do that. We are in this in the middle of a series of of nominating all Pac-12 people to be, we're, we're basically, we're putting them in the pool. And then later on, we're going to take a look at the people we've put in the pool and then and select our all Pac-12 team. So we stopped at the tight ends last uh, last episode. We're at the tight ends now. And let's just do this. So there, there's no limit on how many people we can throw into the pool to start um, because I think there's some really good talent here in the conference on that front. So West Coast, yeah, you, the floor is yours. Who do you want to Who do you want to nominate here? I feel like I always get easy because I go first. So I'll <laughs> actually then avoid the easy answers this time. Um, all I'm excited about is Spencer Webb. You know, I thought that he was really special last year in limited duty. Uh, he's got amazing size. and He's about 6'6", 250. Um, so I think that being as good as he was as a freshman, I think that this year he could really develop into that pass-catching weapon. So that's someone I'm definitely have my eye on. And Kate Otten from Washington is another one. I think that UW's done a good job of ter- take, uh, turning out good tight ends throughout the years, and he's kind of the next one in line to be that guy who's getting all the balls. So I think that those are probably two guys that really stand out to me. Obviously, there's some other good tight ends on the conference as well. Yeah, I love those picks. Uh, Spencer Webb, not the best blocker for Oregon, but really athletic. And, we're, and I, I, when I'm full disclosure, all, all of my nominees are can they catch the ball and, <laughs> and score points? So the blocking, obviously, it's really important. I get that. I've just, but, uh, you know, that I, I get my own opinion, and that's what I'm going to take. Um, so Spencer Webb, obviously, going to be a really good player for Oregon. And uh, Joe Moorhead has talked about integrating the tight ends more. Um, and so that's one of the, the programs that I was really excited about, Rob. And I know you've been kind of keeping track of Moorhead and Scheme. They also have some other players like Hunter Campmoyer is going to be more of that blocking tight end. But Spencer Webb, I think it's going to really have – I think we're going to see increased production from him in that offense, in that scheme. Uh, do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think Moorhead will find a way. If you're a talented player, I think he'll find a way to get to the ball. And, you know, uh, if Tyler Shuck can really, you know – develop like I think the tight end could be a big part of the offense Kate Otten obviously um, just been a real big surprise we all focused on Hunter Bryant and then last year or two years ago Hunter Bryant went down with an injury and Otten really stepped forward and I, I know Washington's just been able to crank out tight ends in fact um, you probably know West Coast but there was that other tight end that was drafted in like the sixth round that was like the backup tight end for Washington do you remember his name well there was there was Will Disley uh, that went in like the I think like fifth round or so, maybe fourth round, and then they had sample. The next year went like the second round, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. I think he kind of was the one that was a big surprise to a lot of people. I don't think people thought he was going to go second round to the Bengals, and, and he, you know, was really only the starting tight end for that one year after Disley had left. Um, but he was a great blocker. That's kind of like Kate Otten has the ability to block and catch, so that kind of makes him a really good all-around threat. Well, yeah, like a Spencer Webb type guy is more of a pass catcher. Yeah, he had 344 yards um, being the second banana on Washington last year and, and also being able to block is just – anyway, he, I think he's going to have a great year. So I totally agree with those. Rob, who do you want to throw in the pool? I, I feel like we have to pick somebody from Stanford, right, because they do throw the ball to the tight end. <laughs> Even though do we? they're, they're – <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, I mean like, they're, they're, like somebody from Stanford at the tight end position is going to get a lot of catches. So – Right? I, I don't know. Like, so, like, Cole, so is it Colby Parkinson that, uh, gone? He's gone. So it's going to be Scooter Harrington. But, like, 
So I've had no, Herring- is, is Scooter Harrington. Did he like redshirt or something? No. See that that's kind of why I'm pushing back a little bit because I've had Scooter Harrington on my fantasy team, my Pac-12 fantasy team for two years in a row, and I thought that he has the size, and Stanford wants to throw to people that are big and tall, but he's just never. He's never cracked, and I think when you have somebody like Simi Fajoko now that um, has proven that he can kind of fill that, that not necessarily long, like he's not a burner, but he's just a big body that can get you that 15-yard catch, if that makes sense. You know, like tight ends aren't going to burst you with their speed, but they're going to be able to get the ball oh, down the field. Back. Um, yeah, so Scooter- I mean, Scooter Harrington maybe, but I mean like uh, Bradley Archer, who's a freshman, um, you know, didn't see much time last year, but he was a high three-star. I mean, I just, I feel like with Stanford, like they're like, somebody is going to get a lot of balls. Right. Cause like when you look, when you look through here, there's just not I mean, like, there's not a, um, an overwhelming cornucopia of guys back. Right. Like Asiasi has gone, you know, like, uh, there's just, I guess what I was going through this is like, Oh man, like this is actually, this is not great. There are not that many great tight ends back in the <laughs> No, no. I mean, Brent Cuthie obviously is the one that like, right. Right. I mean, like he's the one, yes, he's the one, like the uh, very obvious one. But yeah, I I mean, maybe, I mean, Brady Russell from Colorado would have a shot depending on where their offense goes. Yeah. That was the other one where I was interested to see what happens is that um, when Carl Durrell comes to Colorado, he is going to build a two tight end set. Like that's what he wants to do. And so I think you're going to see Brady Russell, um, get a lot of balls because he's going to be the security blanket for whomever the quarterback is there. Because <laughs> the like, and I don't, I don't trust anybody in that. Uh, and it might even be the the true freshman that's the quarterback at Colorado. And I just don't trust them to chuck the ball down the field often. So I think, I think Brady Russell has to be in consideration at least. Like obviously, I think Kuthi and Otten and Webb are a level above that. But just for the sake of how many balls he's going to get, I, I kind of. I kind of like Brady Russell on that front. A couple other people on my end is um, Oregon State, like Luke Musgrave, is more of an, like, from what they were able to do with uh, uh, Noah uh, Togiai last year, I thought was pretty exciting. You know, 44 catches, 406 yards. Obviously, they're able to uh, and willing to throw to the tight end uh, in Corvallis. And and Angie Mercado at uh, Beaver Blitz really likes Musgrave as somebody that, she thinks this is going to be integrating the offense. So I think he might be somebody. He had two catches last year. You laughed off by Stanford. He had two catches. Yeah, but like, no, that was because he's behind Nogatogia. <laughs> like, I think, I think he's going to be the guy. Like, he's going to be, he's taking a Coley place. Parkinson is in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> that's. <laughs> like, oh, he's, oh, he's behind some guy. Like, oh, you mean the guy that's going to play for the Seahawks? Like. <laughs> All right, fair enough, fair enough. I don't know. What do you what do you no, think? I'm just, I'm just saying. I mean, like, I mean, like, you got a uh, what? You you got you're putting a lot of eggs in the Tristan Gebbia basket. <laughs> well, he's got he's going to need that security blanket too. I think uh, comparatively. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What, what do you think about Stanford and Luke Musgrave here, uh, West Coast? You you have the tying vote here. Stanford or Oregon State? Who are you going to throw in the pool? Uh, you know, I think that Stanford is just has that track record of developing and producing tight ends. So, you know, I'll, I'll go with them as well. Um, I think that they throw the ball a lot as well now. So uh, for, it's hard to say who's going to be the guy, but Scooter Harrington for Stanford would probably be my choice over the two options. All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll, we'll go with Stanford here. A couple other people just to mention, uh, UCLA is going to throw to the tight end. I, I don't know who it is, but they're going to throw up. Devin Asiasi was like one of their top pass catchers last year. 
ASU, you know, Boise State didn't use the tight end very much. Um, so you got to think when Zach Hill comes to ASU, that's not going to be a big option. A- Arizona doesn't either. Um, USC, like Drake London is kind of their tight end. Um, he's going to play. It's a different different body, but like he's kind of playing that role of like security blanket, get the ball out, get it to somebody who can get you some yards. Um, and the only other person is DJ Rogers, who is a four-star kid out of Cal. And um, I don't, do you guys know anything about Bill Musgrave's system? I'm curious to see if he actually throws to the tight end, but um, he definitely has a blue chip kid there. I, but I don't know if he's going to see the field. What, what do you think? Uh, what do you think, Rob? I mean, it is interesting because a lot of, I mean, a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of college QBs like, don't always love throwing over the middle to the tight end, even if the even if he's out running routes. And those quarterbacks are uh, terrible people, Rob. Just terrible, terrible people. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, like bad. Sometimes bad things happen in the middle of the field. Um, yeah, I could, I could see. I, I think Musgrave will run a tight end. Um, I mean, like, but the same thing, like with Zach Hill. Like Zach Hill will, you know, have a tight end in the game. Um, whether that tight end, you know, gets catches. Like Arizona often is an eleven personnel, but the the tight ends get very few catches <laughs> in, uh, in their scheme. So, um, I, I, it also depends on like who's there getting catches around them, right? Like if, if you have some, you know, great wide receivers, then um, you know those guys are definitely going to get open, and you're going to want to get them the ball. Uh, I don't know that. Uh, I mean, I could see him potentially emerging if, if Musgrave was looking for it, but I, I don't know if I'd, I don't know if I'd put him in there with any confidence. All right, West Coast. Anybody else you want to, uh, you want to recommend here? Uh, I actually think Jake Tongas at Cal has a lot of potential. Uh, he averaged 20 yards a catch last year, so he kind of has that Brand Keithy thing going where he can make plays uh, once you give him the ball. So I wouldn't be surprised if. Uh, Tong has got more action this year. And then obviously Keithy is just an outstanding talent and the clear front runner at tight end in the conference. Yeah. And, and if you're a Utah fan, keep out for Brian Thompson, who's not a, not a tight end at all. Um, I just really, really liked how he showed some flashes that I haven't seen from a receiver at Utah in a while. I think people are always looking at I mean, Mariner. I forget who their, um, their top guy is. Like, I don't think, I don't think their top pass catcher is going to be him. I think it's going to be Thompson and, and Keithy in the coming year, but we will see. So, all right. So right now, I, so we're going to put Brent Keithy, Kate Otten, Spencer Webb, definitely in the pool, the Stanford guy, and then Dark Horses, Dark Horses here, um, Brady Russell, that guy from Cal, and Luke Musgrave. Lose me, mark my words. No, I'm not planting my flag on, on Luke Musgrave. I'm not doing it, but... <laughs> <laughs> I have other 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 fights to to pick here um, as we go down and uh, continue to nominate people for our all pack 12 nominations. Um, that's it. We're going to, we're going to stop for now. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at 12 pack radio, one, two PAC radio, sharp All of Rob's numbers on there. Rob, what are you doing? What are you doing with this new schedule here? Are you, uh, you know, rearranging the, the chairs on the deck here? What, what's going on? <laughs> well, I don't have a new schedule file yet, and I uh, I actually don't have time to go manually through like some um, you know undergraduate data entry monkey and um, enter in all of the uh, schedules. <laughs> so what? But the handy thing is for like the Pac-12 for what we have out so far is if I'm doing a preview, I will go grab whatever their current schedule is, um, and then just I will manually add in what their new game win probability uh, is and and go through it in the preview. Um, you can, I did a, put up my tool that has the win probability for any game 
for based on the projections available. So if there is a game that um, is not in the schedule file and you want to look at uh, where the projections have that game, you can easily do that on Sharp College Football. Um, yeah, as soon as I have like a new schedule file, I'll do it. But the, the folks that I buy data from have not updated a schedule file yet. Okay. And then lots of videos on our YouTube page, Sharp College Football on YouTube. Um, and I know that, Rob, you're you're tweeting them out. I'm also retweeting them. So I'll, I'll, I'm actually going to dive into the tight end. So if you, if you like the tight end talk, I got your back this week. Uh, really, really excited <laughs> to see. We're, I'll talk scheme and all that stuff, too, on, on those. But I'm just kind of going through the talent in the conference. So, uh, But Rob continues to preview every team uh, ever. Uh, <laughs> this year, uh, going through the advanced stats on them, so definitely check that out if you haven't if you haven't already. And you'll go on there and you'll notice there's like 45 to like videos already up there from Rob's breakdown. So uh, definitely worth a watch. And I think it's a good time slot too. You do like 10 to 30 minutes depending on the team. And anyway, like it's it's a it's a good good pick I, me up. I did it. I did Arizona today because somebody at the Athletic, uh, Stuart Mandel, had put it as. I mean, he had some odd picks for the Pac-12. I thought. Uh, in general, but he had uh, Arizona going winless in uh, against their ten game schedule, That's and good. and UCLA winning and UCLA I think going like winning four or five, and I was and and Colorado winning like two or three, and I was like nope, no 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 no. <laughs> um <laughs> that is like uh that's a bridge too far and i think he also had washington as like i mean really kind of stinking it up and like uh, maybe going like one game better than 500 and i was like i don't really think that's going to be the case either but in the arizona preview uh because when we back when we did the original ones brian when you were shoot we were shooting questions across from our phones um i have I, i've been going back and hitting some of those up as the season gets further and further away to continue to crank out content. Yeah, no, that's great. And, uh, and Hey, West coast, what's going on, uh, on your site? Do you, what other pieces do you have on? Do you have like a, a series coming up or what do you got going? Yeah. Um, what we're going to do next is start looking into the, uh, pack 12 assistant coaches and going through, um, all the different positions and how that breaks down, uh, at the cornerback level, the defensive line level, uh, just to continue giving fans a look into, um, how their roster and how their coaching staff is built and how it stacks up with the rest of the conference. Awesome. And, um, and you, we can follow you at West coast CFB at West coast CFB. Um, if you like the show, leave a review. Hey, and one more request. And if you're still listening to this, Adam Chimeo, put, put your, put your intro music back in, put your intro music back in. I, I heard that you strip it out. Our friends at the quack 12 podcast have the second best, because our intro is, of course, the best intro of any Pac-12 podcast, but the second best intro of a Pac-12 podcast. And he stripped it out, so put it put it back in, put it back in. Uh, but with that, hey, thank you for joining us. Um, we will catch you next week. We're going to continue to talk about what has broken, and I'm sure things will have changed by uh, this coming Sunday. So look forward to talking with you about that and send your questions our way, and have a great week.